Good morning, everyone. It's very fitting as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. You can go by, by the way, you can turn there already. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 37. But it's very fitting as we continue on in the Gospel of Mark that on this first day of Advent, if you will, that I get to focus on Jesus. To just talk about him and who he is. And this is something I am convinced we will never get tired of or bored of. Because what we see of him, what we believe about him, shapes and forms our lives in this season now here on earth. And prepares us for eternity how we will live and worship him in that time as well. And so... I get to focus again today simply on Jesus Christ, and I hope and I pray that the Spirit of God would work this morning to show us, through the preaching of God's Word, who Christ is. I hope and I pray for our church that we would continue to glory in Jesus Christ. That we don't get distracted by other things, but the reason we do what we do and everything that we do is because Christ is worthy. So I pray that he will continue to be the very, the very center and the purpose and the reason for everything that we do. And so when we look here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, 35 through 37, let me just set the context here briefly. It's almost Passover. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are coming to Jerusalem from far and wide to celebrate the Passover festival. If you're not familiar with this festival, the Passover festival was a celebration in commemoration of the time when God brought Israel, when he set them free from the slavery within Egypt and brought them out of Egypt. It's a remembrance of how God did that by sending the angel of death over Egypt, killing the firstborns by which Israel was set free. And here we are, Hundreds and hundreds of years later, and Israel is still coming together to celebrate the Passover as they had been commanded by God. So they come to Jerusalem, where the temple is, to partake of this festival and to worship God. They're coming from the far reaches of the Roman Empire. And every day the throngs of people coming to celebrate in Jerusalem grow larger and larger. And for many people, this was the opportunity and likely the first time they would get to hear Jesus speak. This one that they had heard of but had not yet seen or personally heard him speak. And so here was their opportunity to now do so as Jesus himself had come to Jerusalem because in a few days' time, he will be crucified. The crowds have become captive as an audience watching and listening as the scribes and the Jewish leaders are trying their best to incriminate Jesus by, tr by asking him what they refer to as trick questions from the scriptures. 
And so the crowds are sitting by in amazement as Jesus handles each one of these attacks from these Jewish leaders masterfully. And not only were these leaders not able to incriminate Jesus, but Jesus would show them their erroneous interpretations of Scripture and bring correction to it. In fact, they've come to the point now where the leaders don't dare ask Jesus any more questions because he's just too smart for them, and rightfully so, because the Scriptures are his word. But now, now that the scribes don't dare ask Jesus any more questions, Jesus now turns to the throng that has gathered and eagerly listening, and he now asks the crowd a question. So if you have your Bibles open, Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 35, here's what we read. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said... How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, let me pause there for a moment. It's not the whole question, but it's the introduction to his question. But it's the first part of the question, if you will. But just as a way of reminder, the scribes were the experts of the law of God. And they taught that, yes, indeed, the Christ would be the son of David or a descendant of David. The scribes are right on this point. But this was nothing surprising because everyone knew this, everyone believed this, because the scriptures taught this. Now, as a way of reminder for you and for me, Christ was not the last name of Jesus. The term Christ literally means anointed one or chosen one. And so for them, in their language, when they heard the term Christ, they knew it was in reference to the one that God had anointed to save the people of God, and in their understanding, the people of Israel. And this chosen one would come and he would reclaim and reestablish the throne of David in Israel. And although, excuse me, through this Christ, this anointed one, the throne of David would be established forever, not only in Israel, but he would rule over all the nations of the earth. But like I said, this isn't the full question here. This is the first part of his question leading into the fuller question that he's presenting to them, but in the fullness of the question, he presents a conundrum to the scribes and to those who are listening. So looking back again at verse 35, we read this. Here's his question. How can the scribes, the leaders, say that the Christ, this chosen one, is the son of David? Verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This question may not make a lot of sense to us when we just read it at face value. 
what is he talking about or who's he talking about when he says, the Lord said to my Lord. You and I need to understand this in order to understand the significance of what he's getting at here. And what's happening here is that Jesus is quoting Psalms 110 verse 1. This psalm was written by King David while and when he was king. And David was filled with the Holy Spirit when he wrote these words to this psalm. So Psalms 110 verse 1 reads exactly the same. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now for you and me, there's something lost in translation here for us. But if you and I were to read this in the Hebrew language, it would make more sense, or it would make sense, period. You see, um, depending on what Bible translation you have, for some of you in your Bibles, you'll notice that the first time David uses that term when he says the Lord, you'll notice in some of your Bibles, the word Lord is in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But the second time, it's only the L that's in capital, but not the rest of the word. What's going on here? Well, they've done this to help us understand these two words are different words in the Hebrew language. You see, the first word, Lord, which is in all caps, in Hebrew is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. But they've interpreted it as Lord because the Israelites or the Jews didn't dare utter the name of God. So they would just use the word Lord. And that's why we find it a little confusing because it's to us in English, it's the same word. And so the first time when he says the Lord, he's saying Yahweh or God. And then the second time he uses Lord in that statement, when it's the lowercase letters, it's the word or a title, Adonai. Adonai is an indicator or an, a title of someone who has power and authority over others. And so, as an example, when someone would come before the presence of a king in those days, they would bow down before him and they would call him Lord or Adonai. And what they're doing is they are acknowledging and recognizing the king's power and authority and rule over them. And so that's the word that's used here. Someone who has power and authority over me. And as you think of this now, now this verse begins to make sense. So I would interpret it in my own words this way. My God said to the one who has power and authority over me, the one who is my Lord. So with that in mind now, let's go back to Mark chapter 12 and look at this again. Now let's look at the full question. And look at the, the conundrum that this presents to the crowd that's listening. So back to verse 35. 
How can the scribes say that the Christ, the chosen one, is the son of David? When David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord God said to my Lord, or the one who has power and authority over me, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Did Sorry, David himself calls him, him is in reference to the Christ, Lord, Adonai, the one who has power and authority over me. So how then is he his or David's son, considering that he's seated at the right hand of God? You see, this becomes perplexing for them. Why is that? Because the scribes taught that the Christ, this chosen one, would be a son or a descendant of King David, and this man would be a military man. This was the the widely accepted belief. And as a military leader, he would rise up and once again establish or bring back into power the throne of David And this chosen one, this descendant, as the descendant of David, would become king. But what's more, when he would become king, he would establish this throne or his rule and his reign forever. And it would be over all the world. This they believed. But they saw him merely... As a descendant, meaning a man. And so they've believed this for hundreds, believed this for hundreds of years. And by the time Jesus comes on the scene, it has been 500 years since anyone from the lineage of David has ruled as king. And so Israel is eagerly awaiting for the Christ to come because in the meantime, Israel has been divided and become two separate countries, so to speak. And so they're waiting for this king to come back to once again establish the throne of David and he would reunite the kingdom of Israel and then rule over the world. And now in Jesus' day, the word is out. That some believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the chosen one. But the scribes, on the other hand, were defiant, denying Jesus as the Christ because Jesus didn't meet their interpretation of the Christ. They were looking for a military man, a man of war. But Jesus has highlighted an important element about the Christ that's throwing a monkey wrench into their understanding about who this chosen one is, this descendant of David. His question, how can the scribes say that this Christ is the son of David when the Christ has power and authority over David and is seated at the right hand of God? This is perplexing to them. 
Because you see, even in Jewish culture, a descendant would never have power or authority over a parent. So the father would never come to his son and say, my Lord. And yet David does. And so for them, it's like, wait, 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 this, this doesn't make sense. I can't help but picture this scenario. As we've seen over the last number of weeks here in the Gospel of Mark, as the scribes have been trying to trap Jesus with their trickery and their questions, thinking they'll outsmart him. But they failed at every turn, and then Jesus, hey, let me ask you a question, and leaves them speechless and dumbfounded. It's a mic drop moment. And they're like, what? We don't know what, what's this all about. We don't know how to answer this. But the question is, what was it that he wanted them to understand about the Christ from this passage? Well, we could simply say that they were interpreting it wrong. But it's more than that. I believe what I think Christ intended to point out in this passage was that this Christ was not merely a descendant or merely human if you will. A descendant of David, yes, but not merely human. This chosen son, this descendant of David, would be both fully man and God. And this descendant would wield the authority and the power of God. And by pointing out in the scripture what David himself said about his God, what his God said to his Lord, I believe he's pointing out that he himself is this Christ. He's identifying, Jesus is identifying himself as this Christ. Because think of it, all these, these last three years, Jesus has been doing supernatural signs and wonders. Giving people sight, healing the lame and the sick, raising the dead, calming the waves and the seas. And the list goes on. Supernatural works that he was performing never before seen. He was beyond human or at least his ability was. And by this, and bringing us now to this passage, he's showing to them that this Christ was not actually a man of war, but that as a son of David or descendant of the lineage of David, this descendant was also God. And Jesus has now shown that that's me. It's me that you're looking for. For the last three years, it was no secret that he was a descendant of David, but it was also evident that he wielded the power and the authority 
of God. And has this not been the intent of the gospel of Mark the entire time? To highlight not only that Jesus is the Christ, the chosen one, but that he's both human and divine. Think back, if you've been with us through the series, all the way back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He's already summarized the whole book in this one verse. In the beginning of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. It's right there. He's the chosen one, and he's also the Son of God. From verse 1, Mark has already pushed this point. And then we go to chapter 1, verse 11. After Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, we read, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you I am well pleased. We move forward to Mark chapter 8. And Jesus asked his disciples after a conversation about the, the broader people that had been following him, but now he asks his own disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So we see this throughout the gospel of Mark. This has been the entire intent. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, when Jesus went out up on this mountain with three of his disciples and he was transfigured in front of them. And a cloud came over them, and we read in Mark 9, 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then we come to Mark 10, verse 47, and we're introduced to this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, we read, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, mean to scream with all his might, and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, this entire book is revealing that Jesus is the Christ, but he's not merely a descendant from human perspective. He is also divine. He is God. And the message over and over and over again is that Jesus is the Christ. He is both fully man and he is fully God. And the question is, have we come to that same conclusion? And by faith, I believe that the majority of the people in this room today have come to that conclusion. That he is fully man and fully God. And that he is the chosen one to save the people of God. Not just within Israel, but the whole world. You and I, if we have not, we must embrace his humanity and his divinity with conviction and without apology, he is both. Why do I put it that way? Why do I say that we need to embrace his humanity and divinity with conviction and without apology? 
Because the attitude of the scribes is still prevalent in our society today. Even in our day, there are voices, and at times, loud voices, not only denying who Jesus is, but arguing and trying to persuade those who do believe that Jesus was nothing more than a mere man, although some might concede he was a good man. Others concede he was a good man who was a prophet. Some say he's just an example of how to get to heaven, or he's just one way to get to heaven. But instead of just looking out there, sometimes these voices might even be in our own heads, wondering if he really is fully man and fully God, and is he really the chosen one? And oftentimes, these doubts or these questions come into our mind, either in time of affluence, when we have need of nothing, or on the other extreme, when we're going through a crisis, and we wonder, where is he? If he really is this, where is he now? So it's not just what others are saying about him when they try to deny who he is. It's our own experience as well. It's the voices sometimes in our own heads as we begin to question or to doubt. Doubt itself doesn't need to be sin. And I would even say is not sin. But it's the conclusion that it leads us to that can become sin. Or maybe you're here today and you're just beginning to look into who Jesus is. And maybe you've only ever believed him to be a man. But the reality is, not only according to the word of God, but history itself bears that he is indeed both God and man. And it's only because he is both God and man that he was able to secure our salvation, saving you and me from the wrath of God and bringing us into the grace of God and into a reconciled relationship with God. Only because he is fully man and fully God. So as I wrap this up this morning, I just... I just want to continue to impress upon you who Jesus is. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Follow along in your Bibles or on the screen as I read this. Here's what we read. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God... Yahweh spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Who is his son? Jesus, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And there we begin to see the idea of Jesus being the Adonai, the one who has all power and authority. Verse 3 tells us more about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature, if you want to know who God is, then look at the person of Jesus Christ and you will see exactly who he is. We read on. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There we see his Adonai again, his power and authority It goes on, after making purification for our sins, there it is, that's Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The majesty on high is a reference to God the Father. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited and is much more excellent than theirs. This is Jesus. This is the name that gets used as a curse word in society when they have no concept or clue of who he is. He was not just a good man. He was not just a prophet. He was God in the flesh. When Jesus sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high... He sat down next to God the Father because he himself is God. And the reference to sitting at the right hand was important in ancient history. It's somewhat lost on us, but a person in those days seated at the right hand of the king held the position of highest honor and wielded the power and the authority of the king, in this case, God himself. So this reference to Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is a declaration of his absolute power and authority over all of God's creation. This is your Jesus. This is who he is. So right now in this moment, there is a man seated on the throne of God who is also fully God and his name is Jesus. So you see, not only can we not accept that he was just a descendant of David in the terms of being just a man, but fully God and fully man, and therefore cannot simply be treated as a descendant of David, and that's why David himself called him Lord. And his rule and his reign is not just over the people of Israel, but over the nations of the earth. And he is also our Lord. He is our Adonai. He has power and authority over you and over me. And then we come to Philippians 2 verses 9 and 11. And we read that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Adonai, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He's not just a mere man to be ignored. He's not just a mere man as a part of human history. He is God. Oh God, may our lives bear evidence to the conviction and the truth that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. He is our Adonai. He is the one who has power and authority and rule and dominion over you and over me and over all of the earth. And at this very moment, right now, brothers and sisters, at this very moment, he is seated at the highest position of honor on the throne of God in heaven until all his enemies will have been made his footstool. The question is, will we be his footstool? Or will we in this lifetime give honor and glory to the Christ, the descendant of David, who is both David's Lord and our Lord? And he is coming again. And when he does come, Every knee, every knee will bow before him and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we will either do so under the grace of God or we will do so under the wrath of God. My hope and my prayer is that all of you today, together with me, only by the grace of God will bow before him under his grace, for he is worthy. Father in heaven, he is worthy. He is much more than just a man. He is fully man. He was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He came and he fulfilled your will, O oh God, because he's the perfect son. He came and he laid down his life for sinners like me and the people in this room. And he was raised again from the dead because he is God. And today, Right now, Jesus is seated on the throne until all his enemies will be made his footstool. Oh, Father, in this lifetime, may we honor him and glorify him. May we see the splendor of Jesus Christ. May we see his beauty as one, the Son of God who emptied himself and made himself nothing and became obedient even to the point of death, 
death on the cross, which was reserved for criminals, the perfect, sinless Son of God, the descendant of David, who laid down his life for sinners like us, that we might be saved. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is one who became like us in every way. And yes, indeed, as I already said, he, he was tempted yet without sin. And because of that, by faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us so that when we come before you, You will not experience the wrath of God, but will come before you under the grace of God because as our, as our Savior, he will stand there and say, it is finished, it is paid. He had to be a man in order to do this, but he also had to be God to accomplish this. And he is worthy. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy to all, of all creation to lift up their voices and to praise him. Oh God, that we would all see him as the savior that he is. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work within us to strengthen our faith in Christ or to give us new faith, revealing to us that he is the Christ the one who moves us from death to life, from eternity of wrath and suffering to eternity of grace and love in your glorious presence. Reveal to us the splendor of our God and our King. In Jesus we pray.